Welcome to the Consulting Pipeline Podcast. My guest today was Carl Schmieder, and I say was because I just got off the uh, call with him, and I am rushing this podcast to publication to try to stay up to date with my publication schedule. I had a wonderful conversation with Carl about, well, here, here was my intention going into it. We, we of course, covered uh, a somewhat wide amount of territory, but my intention going into this was to share with you a conversation with someone who's an expert in something. Now, that something is not custom software development. That's okay, <laughs> I think, and this is confirmed by some people who have shared with me that it's actually easier to learn from people outside your own field. I don't know why that is. I think we look at examples that look too much like us and we say, yeah, that wouldn't work for me. So, of course, I, I strive to bring you information that's relevant to you, dear self-employed software developer. But sometimes that information comes from outside the, the discipline you're in, outside the profession of software development. And that's the case today. Carl talks about his evolution from um, more of a generalist to a very focused very specialized copywriter and messaging strategist who works in the biotech and life sciences vertical. So as you listen to this, A, enjoy the conversation. B, notice when Carl talks about what it's like to have the kind of expertise he has and how that influences how his clients relate to him that I think is a particularly interesting part of this. Here you go. Hope you enjoy the conversation. Carl Schmieder, welcome to the show. How are you today? Thanks for having me. It's a big honor to be here. Well, thanks for being here. Um, not everybody says yes to my invitations. You might be surprised to learn. <laughs> well, I feel very lucky. So Carl, who are you and what do you do? So my name is Carl Schmieder. I'm the founder of a company called Messaging Lab, and I help life sciences companies, so companies usually in mostly in biotechnology, tell their story and communicate to a specific audience. So that could be investors, it could be customers, it could be potential par partners. Occasionally it is to the general public. But we start out by doing strategy and then kind of tailor the program that we do for our clients based on their needs and where they're going to find their audience. And a lot of it involves copywriting, though not always, and a lot, but it's always rooted in strategy. Awesome. So let me give the folks at home a little uh, backstory on how we're here together today. You're, I think, on my email list because you responded to a sort of survey I sent out asking folks about number of clients and, and like number of clients that might work with in a typical year, that kind of thing. And then you responded back and I noticed that the, like where you would normally just have a, a human's name, like, you know, on the, on the sender line, it had this beautiful uh, positioning statement. And I was like, I got to talk to this guy. So um, that's, and you've just explained what the positioning is. So I don't need to reiterate that, but that's why we're speaking. And I, I want to, here's what I want to get to is what is it like to have the expertise you have? But by way of getting there, I want to start with, well, how did you specialize in life science in the first place? 
Um, okay, so yeah, there's there is a little bit of a backstory. So um, I think that uh, it, it's it's funny because, or at least it's funny to me. Uh, I always had this vision as a kid that I was going to be some kind of doctor, you know, dentist, and a writer. Like it was always. Oh, wait, all you know, all three combined. Yeah, no, doctor okay. or dentist or writer. Okay, one of those so three. <laughs> some kind of medical professional, but also a writer of fiction. Interesting. And I didn't know at all what that was going to look like. And so when I went to school, I, I did pre-med, um, like a bunch of my peers, and found that uh, it really wasn't, you know, the thought of going to medical school wasn't really right for me. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, but I didn't really figure it out until I was, you know, going through a master's degree. And, mm-hmm. uh, and I thought I was going to go into research, but I really wasn't a very good researcher. And so I had this idea in the back of my mind that, you know, somehow I was going to be writing novels and doing research, but that didn't work out. So after I graduated with a master's, I took a couple of years and did a lot of different odd work. Uh, much to the chagrin of my parents. And then I went and I got a uh, master's of fine arts and creative writing. Huh. And uh, I was lucky enough that while I was doing that degree, I fell into a communications job where all of a sudden I said, Oh, you know, I can combine my love of science with my love of communications or writing, and this will be a good living and I can write novels on the side or, or screenplays or whatever. And that's basically how I, I ended up doing that. And um, my wife and I were moving to New York City, so I started looking for a job, and it turned out that my combination of uh, master's degrees uh, was unique enough that it got a lot of interest at public relations firms. And so I start off my career doing uh, product launches at uh, big PR firms, and uh, it, it was okay for a while. I didn't really like the you know working for someone else uh, thing. I'd always had businesses or little, you know, jobs on the side while I was growing up and and was in college. And so at a certain point after working for people for probably like six or seven years, I was like, okay, I see kind of where this is going to go. I think I need to start thinking about starting my own business and, um, you know, did it, didn't really do it very well because I didn't know it. The first thing about getting into business, Mm -hmm. but found that I had like a really interesting niche, this idea of being able to help scientists communicate. And over time, um, after, you know, starting my business, going back in house to an agency, working at a couple of startups, I realized that my passion and my mission is really helping scientists tell their story. And from that kind of idea ended up building a business that, kind of is split between two things. On the one hand, we work with emerging biotechnology companies. So these are life sciences companies that often are developing drugs, but more recently they're companies that are developing technologies to enable drug development. And then the other side of my business is would, would be really far on the kind of drug development um, uh, continuum, I guess we would say, you know, if you think of drug development as being the hard science to figure out you know, what a medicine is going to be or do. Mm -hmm. And then the other side of it is what does that medicine actually do in a human body? Mm -hmm. So half my business is biotech, synthetic biology companies doing discovery or tool discovery. And then the other half is clinical development companies that are helping uh, uh, pharmaceutical companies bring the drugs to the market. And in general, I'm working uh, either with ideas or with products that are, 
five to 10 years out from being uh, in the public's eye. Mm -hmm. And so more recently, I actually wrote a book about the impact on of synthetic biology, which is kind of the next iteration of biotech and its impact on all business. And uh, for, for your readers, for your listeners or people who don't know this, um, it's been said that the 21st century, the century that we're 18 years into is the century of biotech. If we think of the 20th century as being the century of chemistry and IT, we're now really moving into this place where we're learning how to get really good at engineering biology and its impact uh, is going to be profound. So uh, I'm not going to talk about that so much, but that's kind of how I got to um, this business where I specialize in helping these uh, biotech companies tell their stories, get customers, and then I also help these clinical development companies get customers. Um, but it's kind of two different audiences, and they're both very interested in each other, so it's a nice balance for me. Hmm. You said at some point you became aware of having a kind of a feeling of passion or a mission around helping scientists tell their story. How, did, how long did you go in your career without that? is the first question. The second is going to be like, how did that actually come about? But what's how, how long did you, there was a sort of like a pre mission era in your life. What was that like? Yeah, I think it, it took a little bit of time. Um, I I'm thinking back to the first job I had in New York, uh, where I was just doing product launches, uh, for big pharmaceutical companies. And that felt like a, you know, a job. Mm -hmm. It didn't feel like it was, you know, me working from my passion and things I was really interested in. But the next job I had was at a, at that point, it was an early uh, healthcare focused PR, uh, you know, public relations, investor relations firm, where I really got my hands dirty when it came to doing a lot of writing for a wide variety of biotechnology companies. And also got to be um, kind of started to become more of an advisor to um, company founders. And I really started to see that I enjoyed that. And so even though it, the, you know, the, it wasn't a straight line from that job to my business, I could kind of start to see the light of, okay, there's this group of people, they need help with storytelling. I'm a good storyteller. I can help them understand, you know, that they need this and, um, you know, and then starting the business that would become messaging lab. But it, you know, it was probably like a 10 year, 12 year um, road to get there. And, you know, the, the business evolves. I think that this is something that we should talk about as this conversation continues. I think that if you're in business for yourself, um, I mean, some people I think are probably pretty satisfied with having a business that does one thing and always does that one thing really well. I'm not that kind of person. I like the idea of having a business that is very specialized um, and then expanding that specialization, but then narrowing it back down. And I don't think that that idea is original to me. I'm pretty sure that I heard uh, marketing guru Dan Kennedy say that at some point, that if you're going to be a consultant, you know, you've got to be narrow, you're going to widen, you're going to grow, and then you narrow again. But the specialization has helped me a lot. And we can talk about that to the you know extent that, that you'd like. So this, yeah, um, I'm taking notes. We're, we're going to get there. Um, this idea of, of mission is, 
it can come across kind of weird, especially to a lot of folks in my audience who approach the word the world more from a kind of a logical, rational perspective. So what does it feel like to have a mission? I, I mean, that's got to, that almost to me, honestly, feels like one of the weirdest questions I've asked in a long time. But uh, what does it feel like to have a mission? You know, I'm not, you know, I'm not sure I know how to answer that, uh-huh. truthfully. Um, I say that my mission is to help, you know, scientists tell their story. Um, but I also feel like part of my mission is helping people understand the impact of biotech and how it's going to impact your life in many positive ways. Mm-hmm. Um, what that feels like, I feel like, I mean, I guess if I was going to answer it, uh, you know, just on the fly and, you know, we're sitting in a bar or something, I'd say, it feels like I kind of know what I'm doing, though it's not always a hundred percent clear. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting that you're asking that question because I think when people say they have a mission, usually they're like super, I, I think of someone having a mission as being someone who is really passionate and gung ho and like they're driven by that mission. And I am, but I don't feel like I'm super gung ho about it. When I meet people uh, I specifically remember when, you know, I was at that job I mentioned where I was doing a lot of writing and someone asked me, well, what do you do? And I said, well, I write for biotech companies and I help them, you know, get investors or get partners. And they looked at me and they said, oh, do you like that? And I thought about it for a second and I said, yeah, actually, I do really like that. And over time, I really kind of understood that I really love doing this, what I do. And I think that that impacts my business in a very positive way, because I think that the people who I work with see that I'm very passionate about their technology. I tend to fall in love with their companies and the technology that they have. And I really want to find the best way for us to tell their story and to reach their audience. So I guess that's a long way of answering your question. Um, I guess for me, that idea of what does that mission feel like? It feels like, uh, you know, I'm, I guess I'm super passionate about the work that I do. I'm very lucky to be doing the work that I do. Yeah, I I feel like that word, uh, those two words, passion and mission, have been tainted by, I don't know, I'm going to blame HR departments. And they get they, overused, for sure. <laughs> you know, they kind of make us feel like what it is is that you must be frothing at the mouth with so much energy and over the top enthusiasm that, you know, you just, uh, steel chains can hold you back from this thing. And, and I think you're representing a much more realistic view of that, of this idea that, you know, it's something you like and can do over and over again for a, a long enough period of time to make a difference. Yeah, I, I, I think that that's accurate. I mean, I'm, I feel very lucky, like I said, that I work with the clients I work with. I tend to fall in love with their technologies. Um, you know, sometimes I turn clients away and I'm, I'm just like, it's, it wasn't a right fit. I love your technology, but it's just not the right. You, you, we don't get along personally or something, you know, just doesn't feel right. But um uh, yeah, I mean, I think that you're right. It's like the, the kind of the, it, the word has been tainted. The mission passion idea has been tainted and we can get passionate about a lot of things, but ultimately, you know, we want to run a business that we like and, and, and we want to enjoy the work that we do. And as, as I've said a couple of times already, I feel very fortunate that I do love the work that I do. I love the people I work with. And, um, if I can help, a scientist, you know, or a person in the life sciences tell their story more effectively and it changes 
someone's mind about what we do or what we're doing, I feel like I've accomplished what I've been set here to do. Yeah, you reminded me of this quote, which I spent the last 90 seconds looking up <laughs> from Annie, <laughs> Annie Leibovitz, a fashion photographer. Right. She said, a thing you, that you see in my pictures is that I was not afraid to fall in love with these people. Right. And, that, and you can really see that with her pictures. Right. And you're, I think, touching on the same thing, which is that there is an emotional connection. I, I don't want to freak too many people out by saying, well, you got to fall in love with your clients. I don't think that's quite right. But I do think you're saying that there's a sense of enjoyment or a connection or just something, you know, like a sort of warm feeling towards the, both the people you work with and what they're trying to do, it sounds like. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they're abs. And I, and it's and I did notice that early on that, um, you know, b- before I started my business, I did notice that I just felt, you know, I, I'm not going to say warm and fuzzy, but often I really noticed that, um, you know, here's someone who I can make a diff- I can make a difference for them simply by helping them tell their story a little bit more effectively. Hmm. And that's a, a lot of times the people who come to us and, and, you know, I run a, it, it's myself and one other uh, writer who works for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of times the people who come to us, they have a good story. Like it, it, it's just the way they tell their story is a little bit convoluted. They don't really know how to read their, reach their audience. And there's kind of like the emotional storytelling part of their story is often missing. And so that's something that we bring to the table with them. And I think that, you know, just to kind of add this, um, you know, we're going to, we're talking about specialization and positioning. I think that the more that we've worked in the life sciences and the more expert and specialized we've become, it makes the clients more interested in us because we have this experience, we have this history and um, it allows us to be much more strategic with them together. Let's d- dig into that a little bit. So you, you've been doing this now. Like, how long have you been specialized in the life sciences sector? Um, since the mid-1990s, so okay. for a while. But I did do, you know, it hasn't been, a, like I said, it wasn't a straight line. There's mm-hmm. been some, uh, I spent some time just doing tech companies for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, for a while, I thought, and I, I did a couple of uh, life science or healthcare startups that were not as uh, biotech focused. And I was glad I got the experience, mm-hmm. but um, biotech has a really strong pull on me. So here I am back, you know, with biotech companies and um, actually more recently synthetic biology companies. And these are my people along yeah. with people who are thinking about how do you get this stuff into the clinic? Okay. I'm going to be uh, not as precise in my terminology um, okay. So Don't you know, worry about like, it. Like if I say biotech or life science, I, I mean all, all those people. <laughs> That's fine. I, do, I often do too. It just makes it easier for people. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So um, let's see. Since the mid 90s, so we're talking, we're here in uh, 2018. So just over 20 years. Yeah. You right. know, makes me feel a little old. Well, yeah, not my. I mean, there's, there's good qualities to that. So. I'm not going to apologize for that. (laughs) So at what point did you start seeing the following thing happen? When did you start seeing clients look at you at as more than a creative writer who sold out by doing business writing? (laughs) Because I'm sure you had that at some point (laughs) along the way. (laughs) 
Um, so I don't, I don't know that anybody, uh, you know, to be, I, I don't think anybody ever saw what I do is selling out. Okay. Um, okay. I, I was uh, being a little humorous no, I, there. I, I, I know. I, I know you're being a little flip. Yeah. But so let me just like, I'll, I'll, I don't know at which point people, uh, it, so let me, I'm going to answer it a little bit differently. Great. Um, I think that when I, uh, so I did a couple of startups, um, uh, during the course of, of, uh, you know, like I took a break from messaging lab and I did a couple startups mm-hmm. and the second one, you know, we helped raise money for and kind of develop their whole brand and sales strategy and they're doing really well, but the CEO decided he was going to take it in a different direction that I didn't really necessarily agree with. So I was like, mm-hmm. okay, I'm going to go back and restart messaging lab. Mm-hmm. And at that point I felt like I had enough experience where I could really kind of, you know, put, uh, you know, a line in the sand and say, look, these are the people who I want to work with. You're this kind of biotech company, or you're this kind of pharmaceutical company, or you're this kind of clinical development company, and you're a good fit for me. And um, it, 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 it wasn't that, uh, it, what, what they came to realize was that I already had a lot of experience. You know, I had worked with, at that point, probably dozens of biotech companies and several clinical research organizations. And in addition to just being able to tell the story that they were trying to tell or help them tell that story, I could help them see strategy from a marketing and communications point of view, which in many cases they were lacking. Mm. Um, And so I think that was really the point where I realized, okay, this specialization works for me. Um, I get it and I can see the places where they are unable to kind of connect with their target audience. And that's really ultimately what they're looking for is they're looking for ways, you know, if they're looking to raise money, they've got to be able to tell a story that shows that creates this vision for a potential investor where the, the investor is just going to say, wow, I really want to come on board. Mm -hmm. And that was something that kind of aspirational story was something that I could really help in, in most cases. And I'm not going to say in all cases, but I could really help with that. Um, And then the other part of that was if they had a service or a product that was going to make the difference for getting their, their drug or their medical device into the clinic Again, that requires a certain kind of storytelling and it requires a certain kind of audience um, understanding. But in many cases, um, they would say, well, we, you know, we just want you to write, we just want you to write this story for us. Or we want you to figure out how to tell the story for us or write mm-hmm. this white paper or whatever. And I did that a lot and I still do it sometimes. But then I really started to realize that what they needed was not um, a copywriter, but they needed someone who understood marketing, strategy, audience development in this very specialized field. And so by being able to position myself as a strategist, who, by the way, is also a great copywriter, Mm -hmm. I was able to really, you know, kind of carve out a niche that no one else had. And one of the things that happens is that we get people who come to us who um, they'll say, well, we're looking for a PR firm. They want a public relations firm that maybe is going to help them massage a story. And then is going to, if they got some news is going to help them get into some publication. Hopefully they're going to get into like, you know, the wall street journal or the New York times. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I will say, look, we're not a PR firm. That's not my intent. I've never wanted to be a public relations firm, but well, let's figure out what you really need. And the way that we've evolved that is, um, 
one by asking really hard questions, like really making working to ask questions that maybe this CEO founder hasn't been asked before, mm-hmm. um, help them understand maybe where the the weaknesses are in their, in their storytelling, ask them why they're telling the story the way they are, how they've been successful in telling that story to get to the point where they are and why they think they need public relations. Mm-hmm. And in many cases, after going through this exercise, uh, I realize, and I come and they come to realize that public relations isn't what they're looking for. And I've been lucky enough that, you know, I've, st- I've been a lifelong student of marketing and um, after doing my stints at, you know, PR firms, I did a stint at a digital branding agency, and I kind of got a really good uh, picture of what the entire marketing continuum look, looks like from mm-hmm. like the traditional, you know, digital uh, direct mail to email marketing to digital marketing to advertising, which I would never recommend, by the way. Um, but, you know, once you kind of understand what the, let's just call it the continuum of marketing looks like, mm-hmm. Then you're able to say, well, look, you say you really, you're, you're looking for public relations, but you're, you're not doing any email marketing. You're not teaching people what your uh, specialization is. You're not really clear in terms of your uh, you know, product market fit. And there's all these ways that you can develop those things, but there's other ways. That, there's also ways where it makes much more sense than doing this kind of traditional public relations where you're just trying to get media placements and you're trying to get a lot of people interested in you when really what you should be doing is focusing on a very small specialized audience that wants to hear from you and that you can lead them, you know, as Seth Godwin would say, to become the leader of their tribe. Mm-hmm. And um, so I think I got kind of got lost in my answer there and I apologize. <laughs> But I think that the specialization and being able to be broad in terms of what I see from a marketing point of view as tactics allows us to be much more strategic in what we offer our clients when they come to us and they say, oh, we need PR. And we can say, well, are you really sure? And then what we will often offer is you know, a road mapping session where we go through this exercise of asking a lot of questions and really helping them get clear on the things that they're trying to accomplish and why they feel like they need public relations. And if that's what they need, and it truly is in their best interest, I've got people I recommend them to, and I make recommendations to, you know, to PR agencies and PR professionals. And I'm happy to make that recommendation because it's not something I necessarily want to do. On the other hand, if they want very targeted media relations that are just to industry publications or trade media. Like that's something that I can be very passionate about in my team, Susan and I, and the people who the network we work with will help get them the, those kinds of placements, especially if it's tied to something like lead generation. Mm-hmm. So it seems like this pivotal moment was when you basically set standards for the types of clients you wanted to work with. Um, that seems like that's where the the move towards being perceived as an expert, operating more like an expert, providing strategy, all of that, that all seems to tie back to that. Does that seem right to you? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think it, it, it was like I had reached a point in my career where I realized um, I know that uh, I, I understand marketing, I understand storytelling, and 
a lot of, you know, the, the potential clients that, that come to me or the companies that I see out there that I would want to work with, they know what they're doing. And, and this goes back to this idea of, so they know what they're doing, but they don't, but they might not necessarily realize that there's other ways to tell their story that could be much more effective for them. And I think that pivotal moment of, of realizing that also was a moment where I realized, hey, I'm not in the business of being a copywriter or a strategist. I'm also in the, I'm really in the business of marketing my copywriting and strategy services. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's a big pivot for anybody who runs their own business because we're, we, you know, we're, we're trained to be writers, we're trained to be marketers, but if we're going to run our own business, we really have to become marketers of that thing. And I think that there's a, you kind of make a leap uh, in maybe an in income, maybe just in the way you think about your business when you're finally able to say, you know, I'm not just copywriter. I'm not just a strategist. I'm a marketer of my strategy services. Yeah. You know, you said something there. I want to, I might be wrong about this, but I want you to tell me if I am, there seemed to be a relationship between your willingness to step up and provide strategy level advice to your clients there seems to be a relationship between that and how you feel about your clients. Specifically, uh, you know, I'm not going to label it, but just the feeling of wanting their best interest, of having their best interest at heart, seem like that's what might be connected to you saying, look, you guys are doing this wrong, and you need to let me tell you how to do, you know, how to set the strategy here so that this works better. Yeah, I, 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 I totally agree with you. And I, I don't, I, I wish I could pinpoint exactly where that kind of happened in my career, where I came to realize that it was important to be able to articulate that for my clients. I don't know when that happened, but it is definitely when someone comes to us and we start this onboarding process, it really becomes the first step in, uh, you know, us you know, deciding whether, whether we're going to get married or not. Um, you know, it's part of the dating game. Um, you know, what do you like? What do you, you know, what do you want to be? Uh, where do you want to go? And are you really, you know, are you looking for someone who's just going to be, you know, a number puncher or someone who's going to, you want to just boss us around or do you want someone who be, to be your partner and help you grow your business? And I think it took, for me, it took a while to feel confident enough to be able to do that because uh, it's not something that I think we're necessarily taught, or at least I was never taught it because, first of all, my training is in, you know, molecular biology and creative writing. I didn't know anything about business. But as you go through your career and you start to realize that you want to run your own business and you want to consult with other people, I think there has to be a there has to be a place where you're able to say, look, if I'm going to be a consultant um, and I'm going to be good at it, then I want to be a partner and I want people to take my advice and be serious about implementing that advice. Whether you impl- I mean, on one level, whether you implement it or not, you know, I, there's some people who don't care. I do care. If you implement it and it doesn't work, then I want to figure out why it didn't work and how we can move forward and do something better. Um, I, I know that there's other consultants who just, it's like, okay, well, here's your strategy. Go for it. I wish I could be a little bit more like that. I've become much more invested in my client success. Well, maybe that's not a bad thing. <laughs> <laughs> so let me um, play devil's advocate a bit here. Do you think you could be 
just as effective um, setting the strategy and implementing the copywriting for other types of clients outside of the world of biotech? I think, uh, yeah, I think probably. I mean, I think it, it, I think that there is, so I don't, I think I would be less comfortable than Mm. what I do in the world of biotechnology. And I don't want to sound like I can be the expert. I mean, you know, here, I think what, here's what happens. You start doing, you start becoming a consultant and, and if you're focused on, or at least for me, you're focused on communications and you see patterns where their people are not being as effective as they could be. Mm-hmm. And so I think that there probably are some universal laws or truths whatever we want to call them, that apply to all business. I mean, I, I tend to be one of these people who thinks that all businesses are, like, are basically the same. You've got a customer, you're solving a problem, you help solve that problem, you get paid. Um, and um, so, you know, if you brought me a technology company that was having an issue, they might approach it a little bit differently. And if they're willing to listen to another point of view, I think that could be very valuable. So I'm not saying that I could solve their problem, but I think it could be a useful point of view or useful input. Mm-hmm. How has your business evolved within this, this fairly long lasting focus on the same market vertical? At some point earlier, you, you said the word evolved and I kind of latched onto that. I'm curious if you can add some detail around that. Um, yeah, sure. I mean, I think that, uh, you, you know, there's been an, there was an evolution where the begin at the beginning, the business was just focused on copywriting and I was really focused on bringing clients that were in the biotechnology industry or pharmaceutical industry. Excuse me that that wasn't always easy, but mm-hmm. I, I you know that was let's just call that phase one of messaging lab. It was probably like three four years. And actually, there was a phase before that where messaging lab was focused on doing product naming oh. for technology companies, and I completely moved away from from biotech. And that was actually, you know, kind of instructive from learning how to build a brand. Um, But it wasn't, you know, my heart wasn't in it the way it has been with biotech. And eventually I came back to, you know, working with with biotechnology companies. Mm -hmm. So that kind of evolved into becoming much more strategy focused and just knowing that people didn't need just a writer, but they needed someone who could help them define a message, define a, a strategy for going after an audience and figuring out the best ways to go after that audience. And then I would say the next evolution of it, which is kind of where I am right now, has been really kind of narrowing down on uh, really early stage uh, biotech or synthetic biology companies. And I can get into the synthetic biology side of this in in a little bit, and then also focusing on these clinical research organizations. And so that evolution has been now we just do strategy and we do some marketing communications, and we don't know what that form is going to be. It could be copywriting. It could be helping to develop video and, or, and, or it could be, you know, email campaigns or whatever. But I would say that's been the kind of the evolution and it's become much more narrow in the focus of the kinds of companies that we're willing to talk to and willing to go after. I have this beautiful plugin, uh, Chrome plugin on my computer from the Internet Archive Wayback Machine 
So with, um, I mean, you can do this without the plugin, but you click on it and it has a kind of a shortcut to show you the oldest version of a website that the Internet Archive has. So right. just look, I was looking at messaginglab.com at the oldest version and actually you want to encourage the folks at home, if they're in front of a computer, to do that because it's, I think it's just wonderful to see that evolution. It, it mirrors what you were talking about. And the first version is, um, if you don't mind me saying, Carl, uh, not very good. And quite probably is. <laughs> <laughs> completely unfocused is the part that's not good about it. Right. Uh, it's nicely succinct copy. I can say that, but it's just not focused. And when you put those two side by side and realize this is not it. I mean, it's, it is a completely different business, but it's also the same business. Right. And it's just, I, I always find that so inspiring because it sends the message loud and clear. You can do this too. You know? Right. It's a little horrifying to think of <laughs> going back that far. It really, it really is. It's, I would, cr I mean, I would cringe if this was being done to me. It, it is horrifying, but it's also, if you, if you look at it from the perspective of you too can do this, it's inspiring. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's like you said, you know, I think that there's going to be some people who start their own business and they're going to do the same thing for their entire lives. And I think that's wonderful. Um, I really admire those people and I wish I could be that way. On the other hand, you've got other people who your business should evolve. And um, I'm a, I think I'm a, I'm a big fan of Alan Weiss. And I think that Alan is one of those people who says that, you know, it's two or three years before your business has to evolve. And given kind of the speed of technology and the way things are working right now, today, present day, I think that kind of evolution is necessary. And for me, it's absolutely necessary because I do get bored uh, after a while um, and I'm going to be looking for new things to do. Well, I feel like I'm in imposing my own bias here, but I can't help but point out the thing that hasn't changed nearly as much as what you do is who you, uh, you know, focus on providing those services for. Is, right. Am I getting that right? Well, I mean, it, you know, it, it does, it does evolve okay. uh, or it has evolved because, you know, initially I started doing big pharmaceutical companies. Then I, then I was, you know, doing lots of biotech companies of different sizes. Mm. Um, and these days it's a little bit of a specialization when it comes to the type of biotechnology company I'm working with. Mm -hmm. um, they tend to be earlier stage. Um, and then on the clinical development side, it's uh, kind of two things. It's like both the early stage companies that are, you know, just starting out or, have, you know, received a significant amount of funding. And then the really big, uh, you know, companies that, you know, have been around for a while. So there's a, there's a kind of uh, evolution that way, but it's always been life sciences. Like I'm very, uh, and you can probably tell by this conversation, I'm very passionate about the life sciences, yeah. you know, bio, biotech, bio, biology is technology. I'm a big believer. And, um, you know, as I said earlier, I ended up writing a book about uh, biotech and its impact on business because, I think most people just have no idea uh, in terms of like what is happening um, in terms, you know, in, the, in terms of the fact that biotech touches your life nearly every day and it's going to become more so as we move forward in this century. 
How did, um, has this book been a part of your marketing? Is it a, a source of leads for you? Uh, yeah, actually, you know, it has, it has been, um, uh, I, I wrote the book with a guy named John Cumbers who runs the biggest synthetic biology, uh, conference and network, um, on the planet. And, um, John's a big evangelist for synthetic biology and just, you know, so your, your readers under your listeners understand, mm-hmm. um, you know, synthetic biology is kind of like the next generation of biotech and, and biotechnology traditionally was the ability to get biology to produce a product. Um, and that involved, you know, genetic engineering, and then you end up with, uh, you know, a medicine or you change a plant. And that was something that was fairly difficult to do. And, over the past, so and and the modern biotechnology industry is only forty years old, maybe fifty years old, mm. and really over the last 10, 20 years, we've moved into this place where there's a lot of people who are trying to make biotech much more easy to to do, and we want to make it much more accessible so that people are able to um, understand it mm. and play with it. And so, you know, there's a couple of famous quotes from, from Steve Jobs before he died. And, you know, he had said that if he was going to start over again at that point, he'd focused on the intersection of computers and biology. And Bill Gates has said something very similar to that effect. And in Silicon Valley, the biggest investors in this new generation of, of biotechnology companies are tech investors because I think they see the impact that this uh, technology is going to have on us, on the planet. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and the numbers are, are, you know, they're big for this new emerging industry, but they're small compared to all venture investing. And you have things that are happening where people are doing uh, leather that they're printing as opposed to killing cows and shipping hides to wherever mm-hmm. to have them, you know, turned into leather, which is a horrible environmentally uh, detrimental process. Right. You have companies that have engineered yeast so that it's able to produce the same proteins that spiders produce, and they're able to harvest that and create new materials. And uh, and then you have like this entire industry of new foods that are being created uh, using um, yeast and, and biotech and to create foods that are very nutritious without the environmental impact. Wow. And so John uh, Cumbers and I wrote this book as a way to kind of evangelize for this new science and get out in front of people who don't really necessarily know anything about it and how it's going to impact them, especially business people. Hmm. And so, you know, our point is that, you know, if you're manufacturing anything, AI and robotics are really important, but being able to look at biology and how biology might impact your manufacturing is also very important. So I, you know, I kind of see that as the kind of the sideline project to messaging lab, Mm -hmm. but, um, you know, it was written for a lay audience and it's written for us to kind of get out and evangelize for this industry. Gotcha. Okay. How I, we need to wrap up here in a few minutes, but how, um, what advice would you give to folks who maybe do want to write a book sort of similar to that in that it would play a, a lead generation role in their business? Did you learn any? I mean, you're a writer, so we all sort of assume writing is easy for writers. I know otherwise. How did you write the book or what 
things did you learn that you could tell somebody else that might make it easier for them? So first of all, you, you don't have, you, you don't have to be, uh, I would say there's a, there's a, we could have a whole other podcast yeah. on this, <laughs> but I would say, you know, uh, try not to be intimidated by the writing process, um, set aside some time for it all the time. I think that's, that's the, you know, the main thing and, um, realize that books are not necessarily what you would see, you know, on, um, you know, on a bookshelf in, a Barnes Noble mm -hmm. and the, the book has evolved into multiple formats. And the book that John and I wrote is an interview book. And so we went out and we interviewed the thought leaders in the synthetic biology industry, people who have started companies are academics, uh, people who are thinking about how this uh, technology is evolving and how it's going and, and are, are making true impacts with this new industry. And, um, I, I would say that he, I, I think like the interview, like what we're doing and like the podcast that you gave about, about interviews and how to do them is so important. If you want to create a network, if you want to, uh, get a job, if you want to write a book. And I think one of the secrets, and I'm not sure it's really a secret. Like if you want to go out and get, uh, um, you know, business from a small audience, a specialized audience, tell them you're writing a book about it. And that book could be interviews. It could be blog posts. It could eventually become an ebook that you sell on, on Amazon. But when you put a list together of people that you want in your book or in your network or that you potentially want to work for, and you put a list of them uh, if, and you put a list in front of someone and that list has them along with a bunch of other thought leaders, they're going to want to do the interview because they want to be in that group. Right. And, and, and um, this is the second time that I've done this. I actually, when I started writing, I started doing um, interviews with musicians just because I was, I was interested and I mm -hmm. didn't realize it would end up turning into um uh, an interest of mine in terms of just inter uh, interviewing people. But I think, you know, the, the main thing for writing a book is realizing that it's going to take some time. You've got to put the time in, be disciplined about it, but also realize that a book doesn't have to be a 300 page tome. It could be, uh, you know, I don't know what 20,000 words is 40,000 words. It's much less. It could be a hundred or a hundred pages yeah. and, and it could be interviews and your point of view. And right. that comes out very clear and people, you know, are, would read it and would be interested and it makes you a thought leader. And when it comes to lead generation, when you put it out in front of the people that you want to work with it make it, it allows you to, to get in front of them. And it does make you the thought leader because you're the only one who did it. Everybody wants to write a book. Very few people do it. Yep. Yep. There's a, this guy, bodybuilder. I can't remember his name. It's famous for saying everybody wants to be a bodybuilder. Nobody, yeah, that's nobody right. wants to live, lift no heavy ass weights. <laughs> same, that's same right. Thing with no, one, book. no one does. <laughs> well, Carl, thank you so much for sharing a bit with the audience what it's like to be the kind of expert you are. Um, where, thank you so much. Yeah. Where, where could folks go to learn more about what you do or get in touch with you? So uh, you could go to messaginglab.com. That's my uh, corporate business site. Um, or you can follow me on Twitter. It's at carlschmieder.com and that's Carl with a K and Schmieder is S-C-H-M-I-E-D-E-R. Um, 
Or you can go to whatsyourbiostrategy.com. That's all one word, no spaces. And that's the book site for the book that uh, I mentioned that, that we recently published. Thanks again, Carl.